we go to the gym to work out our physical body, but we also need to go somewhere to me- work out our mental body, our brain, our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings. That's why you go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Enjoy that 10% off. We got to work out the physical, but we need a place to work out our mental. Betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. You will be able to work with therapists all over the world who are available 24-7 through text. Um, and you don't have to drive anywhere. That's the best part. You don't have to drive. You don't have to sit through traffic. You can just do it through the comfort of your own phone or your own home. And the best part is, is BetterHelp will match you up with a therapist that you like until you find it. And there's no extra charge for that. And because we know that it's like dating, right? Like you, you have to, might have to try a few therapists. No biggie. We can switch you up, match you up with a therapist that resonates with you to get you the results so that you can, uh, you know, finally feel like you can sit with your thoughts. You can sit with your emotions instead of running away or numbing, right? We want to get stronger in our resolve to achieve our goals, to be present, to be active, to engage, to explore. We want all those things. So when we go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo, you also get 10% off your first month. So go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Enjoy your 10% off now. Quick note before this episode, you will hear a little bit of background noise, which will be air conditioning because it's hot right now. We're recording uh, in August. It's August 2nd and it's very hot. And so I would be compromising my guest if I had her, uh, (laughs) you know, doing a podcast with the heat on. But uh, with the with the AC off. So for the first 10 minutes, you may hear some of the air conditioning and then it cuts off. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Katie. Wait, is it? What is it? Oh, it is Beecher. I can't read my own handwriting. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) I I have been there. (laughs) Katie Beecher, uh, who is the author of Heal From Within, A Guide to Intuitive Wellness. Um, uh, Katie, I've I've read the PDF that your team sent me. Your story is so powerful. I mean, chronic pain, Lyme disease, bulimia, depression, wanting to end your life. Let's start there. Let's start from the moment where you have a plan to end your life. What's going on in your world, Katie? Yeah, um, nothing, nothing good. Um, So I had been bullied in fifth grade uh, because my body matured earlier than other girls and and girls are just horrendous creatures sometimes. So I felt pretty awful about that. It was a really small school. There was no other class to go to, you know, so I was pretty much trapped and then I developed bulimia, and for people who don't know what that is, um, it's a way to try to control weight. You think you're trying to lose weight or control weight when you are um, actually not. I was not underweight, but I used binging and purging, laxatives, diuretics, everything I could. Um, it started off as just dieting, and then blew out, you know, went out of control. And at that point I was throwing up three times a day, you know, leaving classes. Um, it was kind of awful and didn't really, I didn't tell anybody. No one knew I didn't have a great, you know, family support system. So I just decided I couldn't go on anymore that way. It was, 
all I thought about was my weight and how much I hated myself and how ashamed I was and the depression that wasn't going to quit. And it just, it didn't seem like I had any way out or any alternatives. So my plan was to drive my Camaro. It was 1983. My Camaro um, into a tree. And I was, you know, fully ready to do that. But I believe it was divine intervention that stepped in because one day I came home from school and decided that I really didn't want to end my life. I don't think anyone who does really wants to. I really don't. Um, and so I called our pediatrician, our family pediatrician, without telling anyone and said, you know, this is what I'm doing. I'm in really bad shape. It was the first time I'd ever told anyone about it. And at first, because it was 1983 and no one was really talking about eating disorders, it was just, you know, I'm sure you'll be fine. It's okay. And I just said, no, I'm not. I'm absolutely not okay. So he recommended a therapist that he knew and had worked with for a while. She thankfully was very open to my spiritual gifts, my intuitive gifts that I didn't know anything about that scared me. And she taught me how to love myself and accept myself and talk to the eating disorder and my body like they were my friends instead of things that were out to get me. And I worked really hard and um, it took maybe eight years from the time the eating disorder really started till the time I could say I felt you know, healed. Um, but I've been healed for over 30 years and that's, it's an amazing feeling. And I, I really do want to tell people that you just don't know what's going to happen the next day. Um, and because I've been there, it, it hurts my heart so much when I hear about someone who's taken their life or who wants to, because I just, I know it's this hole that you don't feel like you can get out of, but we're all stronger than we think. And, and even if we think no one will care or no one will miss us, that's, that's not true, you know? So that's where I was at at the time. So, so Katie, you talked about being bullied, right? And how that was a part of uh, leading to bulimia. Why, what was a struggle or challenge in talking to your parents about being bullied? Like what were the, I, I would imagine you're being bullied and then you don't go from bullied to bulimia. There were things that you did in between. What were those things? How did you try to reach out? How did you, how did you try to voice your pain and despair? When I was being bullied, I felt really ashamed, which is so counterintuitive because I wasn't doing anything wrong. I didn't do anything to deserve being bullied. These people were frankly idiots and it was you know their low self-esteem and their meanness that caused them to do it but you don't want you know people to be disappointed in you or you don't want to you know look like there's something wrong with you so for a very long time i didn't tell anyone the the teachers did nothing it happened right in front of them they did absolutely nothing so i i really didn't feel like I had any support. And as I said, it was a small school. I, there wasn't any other classes for me to go to. There wasn't another school to go to. So I just kind of felt like I had to cope with it on my own. And I felt like 
if I did tell my parents, they would have gone to the school and, and really like been angry and had a fit and maybe it would have made things worse. So I did end up telling them years later, um, and they were really upset, but you know, um, but I think part of why I was bullied was because of going into early puberty and having breasts and all that. And the other part of that was that I gained 20 pounds just from puberty. So because I already had a really low opinion of myself and a horrible body image, because when you're bullied because of your appearance, you think there's something wrong with you. Um, I already had a horrible body image and I went on my first diet after my dad said, um, I was getting ice cream out of the freezer one day. And he said, you know, you've gained weight. You really don't need that ice cream as he's sitting there with this big gut. Um, so I just, you know, I ignored him and ate it anyway. But the next day I started my first diet and lost 20 pounds and got attention and felt great. And when you go from a thousand calorie diet to then back to eating the way you were as an adolescent, you're not going to keep the weight off. So it just became this yo-yo dieting thing and um, lost more and more connection to my body and my intuition. And, you know, as I said, I, people knew, like my parents knew that I was struggling with my weight and that I had depression, but I don't think anyone really knew what to do. Like I was very close to my grandparents at the time. So that's one of the things that kept me from taking my life is because I knew that they'd be really upset and I didn't want to disappoint them. But um, I don't think anyone really knew what to do. They took me to a doctor. Um, the doctor said there was nothing wrong with my thyroid, for instance, but there was. Um, you know, no one ever said, hi, you obviously have a problem. You're obviously really messed up. Uh, therapy, you know, something like that. But it was just, I don't think that my family wanted to accept or deal with their role in the depression and the eating disorder. And, you know, my parents' marriage was pretty dysfunctional, but my mother wasn't going anywhere. Um, and my father was very, very difficult to deal with. But no one really wanted to admit that, hey, we have a problem as a family and that this is a very dysfunctional system. So it was easier just to, you know, look at me like I had the problem and there was something wrong with me. You know, I'm glad you shared that because so much emphasis is put on self-help and what did you do and what was your part in it and taking responsibility and all that is true. But we are part of a larger network, part of a larger system, uh, social system, uh, political system, all these different systems that impact our physical, mental, financial, emotional, and spiritual uh, health. And so I'm, I'm glad that you made, you brought awareness to that because it's not just about us, it's about all the systems that we're connected to. And you're right, e even on a physiological level, you're talking about your thyroid issue, you know? Like it's not all just mental, all this, you know, Absolutely. just, you know, reframe it and, um, you know, uh, you know, work hard and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There are things that are happening on a physiological level that could be. So many things. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, I, I want to dig a little deeper into the because you talked about <clears throat> when I asked you, um, you know, who did you reach out to, you know, once you were bullied and. 
you said your parents, you were afraid of one, how they would uh, retaliate. They might make things worse. And that's the thing. I think when we're in that state of depression, our options all seem like it would just make things worse or would be ineffective, right? Um, and, and But the other part was um, you said that you talked to the pediatrician. Mm-hmm. What was it in the – I want to uh, – your pediatrician and your grandparents, yep. what was it about those two that you felt like you could connect to them or share with them um, that you sought them out? My grandparents were the only people in my life who I felt loved and accepted me unconditionally. I could be my true self. I could say whatever I wanted and I'd be heard. Um, You know, I could talk about the problems in my family and while they couldn't do anything about it, they were always there to listen. I just felt like it was a safe haven. You know, I even like when I was older, I had a car and everything and I would go stay there for, for the weekends and things. And I just felt like they were happy to see me. They, they weren't like, they wanted to hear what I had to say. They wanted to hear about my opinions and they thought my life was interesting and um, things like that. So I just always, I think everyone deserves somebody, at least one person in their life who they feel like they can be themselves with and that they can love and be loved by. And I was fortunate to have them. So Katie, you talked to both your grandparents and then also the pediatrician. Um, what, what was it about the pediatrician that you felt drawn to that you wanted to talk to him and share with him? Yeah. So I, I just knew him from going to physicals. Um, he was a nice guy. I didn't honest. I didn't honestly know which pediatrician I would get when I called the office because they, the you know, depending on the day, different doctors were there. But I think I just felt like because they worked with kids and they were doctors that maybe they would have a referral source for me, like a therapist to get me some help. Um, I think it was just you know my spiritual guides or whatever saying you need to be here and we're not gonna let you die and you need to hear this and take action. And the therapist he connected me with did turn out to be the perfect match. So, you know, this, it, it was divine intervention and I could have told the guidance counselor, I could have told, you know, any number of people because toward the end, some of the teachers that, that I knew, like a couple of people picked up on it and or they were told by friends you know when you're at parties you do things um and when they asked me about it like i like the teachers a lot but i just denied it because i wasn't ready you know um so i guess i it was just time um and it's important to listen to our intuition and listen to that life force because we all do have it yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I'm always emphasizing the importance of we can find help and support in areas that we may not typically think we can find help and support, you know, via grandparents or the pediatrician. I mean, I don't think that's anybody I've ever uh, recommended on the podcast. But, you know, I like where your line of thinking is, is even if that person cannot support you directly, they might have access to other resources that can 
support you. So right. thank you so much for bringing that up. Where does Lyme disease come into all this? Yeah, so um, I grew up two towns away from Lyme, Connecticut. And um, I have no doubt, I mean, I was in the woods. I was, you know, a kid who liked to play in the woods. Um, I have no doubt that I probably had Lyme my whole life. And I had symptoms. Looking back, we've identified all these symptoms that I had my whole life. And no one ever said, oh, you might have Lyme. So um, when I was in my mid-40s, I was finally diagnosed by a naturopath who'd been in the area forever. And I had Lyme, every co-infection there is. At that time, I had mold too and a, and a chronic fatigue virus. And so fortunately, he was very experienced in dealing with this and we were able to treat it naturally. And once I was healed, and my healing was pretty pretty quick um, because I had already been doing so much support work. He said I'd probably been treating it symptomatically my whole life, you know, intuitively and stuff. Um, so it didn't, it took less than a year before my body was cleared of all this stuff. But I was very surprised that the depression I had had since I was, since the bullying started basically, probably before actually, if I'm being honest, that, that depression went away. And it really was very eye-opening and it was incredibly helpful for me with my work with clients. I, I joke and say I'm a guinea pig, but I actually am. So, you know, every time I learn something about myself, I can help other people. But it was like, wow, you know, how many other people have things like Lyme or, or viruses or whatever that is really one of the contributing root causes to depression and anxiety? where you blame it on bullying or you blame it on your crappy family or whatever, which are all valid too, that it was like, wow, there's this, this huge physiological cause and I didn't even know about it. So it was, yeah, it was pretty important. So you said naturally, take us through those steps because I, I have two friends actually who are currently struggling with Lyme disease and it, it, for some people, they seem to be managing it okay, and others seem to really be struggling with it. So how do they heal from within in regards to Lyme disease? Well, the way that I approach everything is that we are all individuals. And so I'm not a big fan of one-size-fits-all protocols because we're all different. And even like genetically or pre-existing conditions or our you know, whatever we're doing in life, because if you're in a bad relationship or a bad marriage or under more stress, it's going to be harder to heal. So you have to look at the whole, whole picture. And for me, it was a combination of, um, he was able to use a, an energetic frequency machine, which sounds super woo woo. Um, but it was pretty amazing. He's, you know, been using it for a long time. Um, and there's other people that do that work too. He was able to use this these tools to come up with different homeopathic remedies and natural antibiotics and other kinds of bug killers and things and figure out what would work for my body and what I had. And we treated it fairly aggressively, but also slow enough that I didn't have a lot of side effects from the treatment. And we also use something called a Rife machine, which again is sounds freaky, but it's an electronically electronic frequency machine where you detect the frequency of whatever's in you, and then 
do use this machine to zap them. Um, and I, you know, use nutrition. Um, I also really relied on my spiritual information, my, you know, my spiritual background to talk to the Lyme disease. Um, I wanted to befriend it. I didn't want to feel like a patient or a victim. And I didn't want to become somebody like it's, it's scary, but I didn't want to let that anxiety take over and feel like I couldn't heal. or I was never going to heal because a lot of people feel that way. So I just said, I'm not going to use the word my with my symptoms. Um, I'm not going to use the word Lyme unless I have to. It's a, it's something happening in my life, but it's not me. You know, I'm not just that there's so many other things going on in my life and I talked to it, which is one of the techniques I teach in my book um, and how I got better from the eating disorder too, is I talked to it and said, what are you here for? You know, what do you want me to know? Um, how can I help to heal you? How can I be more authentic? Kind of like, why are you getting my attention right now? And a lot of stuff came up, but one of the things that, that came up, which surprised me was, um, you know, you've been told by your spiritual guides that you needed to write this book since you were 16 years old and it's time to write your proposal and get this started. <laughs> so not having any clue what I was doing, that's what I did. Wow. I, I love that because, you know, when you were talking about your eating disorder, you talked about talking to the eating disorder and, and, and I know like a lot of that is an acceptance therapy. I had Dr. Uh, C. Hayes on a podcast and he talked about, you know, naming your, um, you know, naming your, your, your challenge, your struggle, your, uh, your depression. I know that Winston Churchill called his depression, a black dog mm -hmm. and in sugar addiction, they call it the red dog. Yeah. Um, did you have a name? Do you have a name for your eating, uh, for the eating disorder, not your eating disorder for the eating disorder? And, and do you have one for the Lyme disease? Well, I called it my friend, to be honest, I, the eating disorder and everything that went along with it turned out to be one of the best experiences of my life because I wouldn't be doing this work without it. I wouldn't have learned how to connect to my intuition or my body or find self-love. Um, I wouldn't have been encouraged to explore all of my weird intuitive psychic gifts. So I really, I didn't have a name per se, but I just acted like you're my friend, you're here. Thank you for being here. Um, I really don't like you a lot of the time because this is really, really, really hard, but there was no other way that I could get to where I am now, not having gone through that. I kind of call it like the feather in the sledgehammer. So we get, you know, brushed by feathers all the time. It's like you have a little sore throat or you're tired or somebody, you know, acts like a jerk or whatever. And there's all these little messages all over the place that like, okay, go rest or do what you need to do. But a lot of us are hardheaded, <clears throat> myself included. So I often need that sledgehammer, <clears throat> not as much now, but that sledgehammer to be like, I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to take over your whole life and make it so you cannot function and you can't do anything and you're going to pay attention to me, damn it. So, you know, that's kind of, that's what happened. Um, and 
you know, I'm more aware of it now. I listen earlier now, but still, there's yeah, not perfect. For the listeners out there, I just realized this, who may not even know what the symptoms of Lyme disease are. Can you share that with them? Yeah. Um, so every case is different. And there are so, so, so many symptoms, partly depending on the type of, so there's one thing like that's called official Lyme disease. And then there's other co-infections that are also kind of tick or bug transmitted. So depending on your variety, they can, they can change, but, um, you know, a lot of it is like fatigue and achiness and inflammation. Um, it can cause gut issues. It's been shown to cause mental health issues. It, um, it can affect the brain. So you have brain fog and confusion and it affects the heart. Um, so you have a lot of cardiac symptoms. Um, there, you know, nerve pain, um, constant pain, things like that. Or the weird thing about Lyme too, is that it, it can look different depending on the day. So the symptoms can move around your body depending on, you know, what you're doing. I had um, Bell's palsy, which is one side of my face got paralyzed in college. No one ever said, oh, you might have Lyme disease. Um, there are so like, literally the laundry list is so incredibly long, but the most frustrating thing about Lyme is that traditional testing is really inaccurate. And even though it's been around for a long time, most doctors still don't know about it. And they use like a two-part screening process. So if, if you do a blood test for this and the least sensitive of all tests doesn't come back positive, then they're like, okay, you don't have it. We're not going to test further, which should be the opposite, but that's okay. Um, and then, you know, it's because there's so many weird symptoms to it. Often it gets labeled as like fibromyalgia or um, even like MS, a lot of MS has been. Yeah. Hashimoto's I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing about it is too, because it's an autoimmune disorder, it can spark other immune disorders. So you may have Hashimoto's and Lyme, you know, you may have all these other things plus Lyme. Um, and they kind of, it's not like a cause, but if you, a lot of us are susceptible to autoimmune stuff anyway, it's in our family or whatever. So if you have a hit or a stress or, or whatever, it could bring out those other disorders. And um, even Lyme, I really believe that we've all been exposed, you know, that it's part of all of us. And so I've seen people who didn't have symptoms and then all of a sudden they go through a really bad breakup or a divorce or there's a death or car accident or whatever. And, you know, next thing you know, they've been diagnosed with Lyme and they have all these symptoms. So for someone dealing with chronic pain, it sounds like one of the steps is to talk to it, name it, sit with it, befriend it versus trying to avoid it, numb it, medicate it and run away from it. The part that you also mentioned was diet. You made some nutritional changes. Can you speak more to that and how effective it is for Lyme disease? And then for chronic pain in general, for, for a lot of, because, you know, I myself included, uh, struggle with uh, chronic pain. Sure. So the most important thing is that you figure out the root cause for the pain or for the issues. And so Lyme disease may be one of those, there can be a lot of them. So I'm a big, you know, root cause person, um, including spiritual root causes and emotional root causes, because it all goes together. So... 
with diet, um, being a person with an eating disorder history, I think restriction can be very triggering for a lot of people. So I like to use what I've had to learn to use is intuitive eating. And that's where I ask myself what I want, no matter what it is, and then get what I want or hold it in my hand and then ask again, is this what you want? Um, without judgment, you know, without like, oh my God, I'm gonna eat a chocolate bar and my flies, thighs are gonna blow up or something, but there's no good or bad food. So you take a bite, actually chew it, actually taste it, you know, see if it tastes good, see how it feels in your body. And then check in 20 minutes later, an hour later, you know, whatever, and see how you feel. So you may get a stuffy nose, you know, you may get a stomach ache, you may feel more achy, there may be more pain, you might feel great. Um, you know, your mood might turn to crap, whatever. But check in with how those foods are helping are making you feel. And that's a really good guide for what foods um, help your particular body feel good. Because there's a lot of foods that are inflammatory. Generally, foods with that produce inflammation or even foods that are high in histamines or produce histamines, those tend to not be great for people with pain and inflammation already. But you can't avoid everything, you know? So it's kind of, and the list isn't gonna be the same for everybody. So it's sort of like, you know, you may be able to tolerate a certain amount of, of sweet stuff or carbs or something like that. Um, but figuring out how much you can tolerate is important. And, you know, the next person might not be able to tolerate any. So it's a lot of it is about not necessarily good or bad foods, but how foods may produce inflammation or may activate histamines, which can have a huge effect on mental health too. You know, that's something I just started looking into, um, high histamine foods, because I know a lot of, when we talk about one chronic pain to suicidality, it's right. often described as, uh, some type of inflammation, uh, mm -hmm. some type of psych ache. And, uh, and we, I think a lot of us are unaware of how much what we're putting in our bodies is contributing to it. Not to say that it's the reason for it, but how it can be a comp a compound effect. Right. So, Absolutely. uh, just to list off a few high histamine rich foods. And like you said, it, it varies from person to person, but just to have a general awareness. Uh, we're talking about alcohol, especially, and, and we know that a lot of people who struggle with uh, chronic pain and suicidal ideations, uh, you know, we go to food, drugs, sex, alcohol as a way of avoiding or numbing uh, the pain, but also fermented foods like yep. in dairy products, uh, yogurt, sauerkraut. And I, I know like, it, you know, from our Korean listeners out there, fermented foods are a large part of your culture. So uh, once again, I, I love that you stated, Katie, that um, it's not about, uh, you know, abstinence because that could be triggering for people and that could be stressful. Um, but it's just about awareness as, as the first step. Uh, dried fruits, avocados, eggplant, spinach. Uh, oh, spinach. I forgot spinach has <laughs> uh, oh, no. processed meats, shellfish. I mean, the list goes on and on. But but. You know, it's just like something to look into, look into your nutrition uh, instead of into the medicine cabinet to see 
if you can uh, address it in a more natural way. And also things like mold, like there's so much mold around and it's really hard to detect. I'm kind of freaky. I can, you know, detect it like 10 miles away. I'm, I'm that person that you can't go to a hotel with, you know? Um, but so it's, I'm kind of like the canary in the coal mine too, but it's just so prevalent and especially in Florida where I live, but, um, but mold can cause depression and anxiety and inflammation. And there's just, it's, it's a very, it's very difficult to kind of sort out the different root causes for things. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say was movement, you know, exercise has been a huge, huge thing for me with anxiety, depression, um, just stress relief. And a lot of people link exercise or movement to weight. You know, if I don't exercise, I'm going to gain weight or I'm not going to keep it off or whatever. And that kind of links it to like, not necessarily a punishment, but not necessarily to something positive either. And I have found, I religiously pole dance, as you can see them, you can see my pole. Um, and um, I always looked for something like adult gymnastics because I loved it when I was a kid. And now I am pretty addicted to it in a good way and, and aerial arts too, but it has done wonders for my body image. I am physically and emotionally stronger than ever. Um, that's where I've met my circle of friends. I don't think of, it's kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I have class instead of, oh, I need to go to the gym. So I really look forward to it and it's, it's become a lifestyle. So people think, you know, if you're not running marathons, you're not actually exercising. It doesn't count, but anything you can do, just find something you like, even if it's like walking for 10 minutes a day. And at least it's, it's getting you centered and out of your you know, daily life of just what am I having for dinner? And, you know, I just, I think it's a really important component of mental and physical health. So you talked also about spirituality and spiritual health. What does that mean for you? And, and how do you practice that? Is that via pole dancing? <laughs> well, that, that definitely is a part of it. Um, I honestly, the way that I communicate with my intuition and my spiritual guides is the same way that I learned how to do it, you know, when I was 16 and recovering from the eating disorder and, and I didn't invent it. It's all Jungian psychology. So all of these people who were doing mind body stuff and symbolism and, um, all of it, Louise, Hey, all of it, it's all based on Carl Jung. So he was pretty amazing dude. Um, but I, I literally write to my body when I have symptoms, I write to my intuition, I write to my guides, um, you know, write to God, all one and the same. And not only when I have a problem, but also to check in to be like, you know, what do I need to know today? Is there anything you'd like to tell me? Um, sometimes, you know, when I am having an issue or problem or just need to make a decision, I'll write to them and see what I get back. Um, all of this is described in my book in detail. Um, and this is part of what I teach in my sessions too. But it, I honestly believe that learning that and actively doing that is a big piece of what saved my life and helped me heal. I love that you shared that writing to your body is one of the things that I 
probably overemphasize in terms of journaling, just taking notes. I mean, I know a lot of us aren't, you know, Tolstoy or Nabokov, but it doesn't have to be that. It could, you know, it could be a few words. It could be three words. It could, it could be the same letter over and over again. Kind of like when you're, exactly. maybe you're upset with a part of your body, like, ah, um, <laughs> and anything's acceptable. It's, it's your world. But, but right. that, I love that, um, that idea because, you know, I, I, I write to my father who passed away years ago oh, yeah. and I, um, there's a, a website called future me futureme.com i believe i'm not sponsored by them but you can write an email to your future self and it'll you'll receive it like three months three years five years later and it's really cool i'm always pleasantly surprised uh every time i receive one so i i just have a bunch of them floating out there to my future self so but i love this idea of writing to your body parts and and also asking it questions because i think to me that seems to be the antidote part of the, the 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 antidote here katie is a lot of times we love to tell our mind and our thoughts and our emotions uh what to do and nobody likes to be told what to do not and our emotions don't like to be told what to do and our thoughts don't like to be but when we ask it questions it creates a more amicable friendly, cordial atmosphere where it's like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll listen to you for a few minutes there, Feathers, because I don't want you to go get the sledgehammer, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right <laughs> it's right. almost like uh, my, my buddy, um, he, he, you know, he was associated with the mob and he, he was that guy who would come talk to you about the money that you owed. He was right. the feather. And he was like, listen, I'm, I'm talking to you, but the next guy who comes is not going to talk to you. So you, you want to resolve this with me, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly. I love that you brought up talking to your dad because one of the things that I emphasize is we are all intuitive. We are all able to communicate with people on the other side. And sometimes when I'm explaining that intuitive writing process, People don't know what I'm talking about when I say intuition, you know, and, and that's totally cool. But I'm like, well, maybe, you know, is there anybody in spirit um, that you feel has supported you that's been there for you? Like I write to my grandparents all the time um, and they're there with you all the time. They're always giving you signals like when you think about them, they know it. When you talk to them in your head, they can talk back to you like I am a medium. But the truth is that people in spirit want to talk to you guys way more than they want to talk to a medium. And it's just that like, we doubt that it's really them or we don't think that we're intuitive or we think I'm not a medium, so it doesn't count or something. Um, but it absolutely does. And I think it's just when you're going through grief, when you're all of those things, just you know, to have an extra guide, um, it's really valid. What type of movement exercise do you do, Katie? What, what, uh, and I hate to say exercise, but what type of movement do you do? How do you move your body uh, to, and, and to relieve stress? Other than pole? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what got you into pole dancing? Yeah, so um, my main thing is pole. I do walk, but on, I'm, I go to class, you know, usually seven or eight hours a week, and then I have a pole at home, so it's, it's pretty intense. Um, 
But yeah, I literally was looking for something fun, something that I would help me feel kind of like I did when I was a kid, when you just, I'm like, when we're kids, we just want to move, you know, you just run outside and, and do stuff and you don't think about, oh my God, I weigh this much or I, I have to go do this or, or, you know, my clothes don't fit or whatever the hell it is. You just, you just feel like moving. So I really wanted to connect with that again. And I couldn't find any adult gymnastics class. I did some dance, but it wasn't exactly the same. Um, I'm, I'm more, um, bull in a china shop type of person rather than, you know, graceful. Um, so my daughter started doing pole. She lives in, um, I'm in Florida. She lives in Massachusetts. And I just thought, huh, that sounds really fun. And I was, I am 57 now. I started two and a half, three years ago, but like with COVID seriously, two and a half years ago, basically. And, um, when you start, like I couldn't climb a pole, I couldn't do anything. And we, you know, you gain muscle strength and you gain being able to do things. And I'm competing in my first pole competition on August 13th. Right. And it's, um, it's the nationals because why start easy? And, um, yeah, so, um, it's really challenging and kind of terrifying and also really fun. Challenging and terrifying and fun. That sounds like the perfect cocktail. Like I'll take that over Adderall, Ativan, and Ambien any day. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, what I love is that people come to class, they're all shapes, sizes, ages. It's not just for people who are like super fit and have no body fat. And it's so just empowering and it's guys and women. And, and it's just like, you're in your body and you're doing things with your body that you never thought you'd ever do. Um, you know, but as far as like my family used to make fun of me that I wouldn't put on a bathing suit and I weighed less than I do now cause I put on a lot of muscle. So I weigh more. And, um, now I'm just like, I basically have to be in a bikini to, you know, stick to the pole. So like, I don't really care what I'm wearing. I just need to do my pole. So it's, uh, it's kind of like, it brings me back a lot to when I did feel horrible and I did want to take my life and I thought there was no hope. And I just thought it, I think like I shifted my thinking because of this form of exercise that I am now in love with. And I didn't know at the time that shifting your thinking could be so powerful. And, um, and a lot of it, is a mindset of kind of thinking outside the box, like thinking no one will care if I'm not here. You know, no one will miss me. Um, I'm a burden, you know, to other people. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to be able to get any help and shifting that, like taking a chance and thinking differently and thinking, you know what, maybe there are people who know what I'm going through. Maybe I don't even know them. You know, maybe I need to reach out or tell one person or take a chance that maybe I'm wrong. And that's happened to me so many times. Um, and it's really important to, you know, challenge those fears and challenge those beliefs, because a lot of the time they come from places that aren't serving us. Challenge them indeed, because a lot of times we over identify our thoughts with being who we are. If I'm, if I'm thinking this, then this must be who I am. 
And when we challenge it, we usually find that a lot of our thinking comes from our conditioning, our programming, right? From what we've seen on television, what we've heard on the radio, what our parents have said to us, even in the womb, you know, like the environment, the womb is, is our first environment. So there were things we picked up in utero that we've carried out. I mean, this is why so many parents are playing, you know, uh, Mozart and Beethoven, uh, you know, to the, to the, the womb so that, you know, it can pick up some of that genius, hopefully, and stimulate the brain, you know, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, even, you know, raising my own, our own kids, um, who are 30 and 24 now, I wanted to take responsibility for my behavior because my parents had never done that. And I knew that I still was dealing with a certain level of anxiety and depression. And it was so important for me to be honest with myself and realize that if I was feeling bad, I owed it to them. I had to take care of myself for myself, but also for them. And so as parents, there's a lot of guilt if bad things happen. But I think the most important thing is to to bypass the guilt and bypass the fear and just be like, I have to take responsibility for this reality. And that way, you know, the family system can be healthier. I love that. And because the idea of taking responsibility is not about punishing ourselves. Uh, What I find is when we punish ourselves, we're actually letting ourselves off the hook, right? Because now I don't have to take action. I'm beating myself up, um, shaming myself, I'm blaming myself, I'm criticizing, but I'm not taking any action to change my circumstances. When we take responsibility, that leads us into action. I love it. Right. And, and so, you know, what I also love is, you know, we talked about food and exercise and movement, but there's a social component to chronic pain. I'm listening to this book by Robert Sapowski, and he was talking about how when we are in group settings and we feel that social support that you craved, Katie, as a child, that you wanted that, that support, that it helps to reduce our cortisol levels, our glucocorticoids. And, and it reduces that inflammation and that pain, and it allows us to push further, right? This is why, you know, when you're in a team or in a group, you, you have a bit more adrenaline and a bit more drive because everybody is pushing each other. Can you talk to me about the social aspect of, of healing? I know we're talking about healing from within, but, but there's a social aspect, too, of, of being able to heal and feel supported. There is. It's huge. Um one of the things that comes up when you say that, sorry, I was doing a little mini intuitive reading on you when we were talking, uh, which we can get into in a sec. Um, but one of the things that comes to mind with that is people don't think they have a right to say no or to express feelings. And also people often feel like they're always on. And so, especially if you're empathic, you have people around you all the time and you're kind of taken in their energy or being impacted by them or whatever, and you just need time to yourself. So it's fascinating how if we get sick or get into an accident, we have an excuse to say, no, I can't come, or I need to take care of myself or whatever. And when we learn that we don't need an excuse, to take care of ourselves or to say no to something we don't want to do or whatever, um, those symptoms can go away. 
because they're no longer acting for us. I've seen that so many times over and over and over again. And even taking time to grieve, um, you know, as you know, after there's a death, there's a lot of people around and then they don't really know what to do, you know, or they, they kind of forget because it's not immediately in their lives or whatever, but people still need time to grieve or to whatever that means for them. And a lot of times society just wants us to go back to, oh, well, normal life, you know, just whatever. And it's like, uh, hell no. So having pain, getting sick, doing whatever, it gives you a reason that you think is socially acceptable to then take care of yourself and spend time on, you know, on your own doing whatever it is that you need to take care of. Um, and I, I was going to ask you when the pain started. Uh, oh, my pain from day one. <laughs> I, I, I thought so. So my, my pain from day I, when I was, I think I was about nine, I was diagnosed with having a stomach ulcer. Okay. And then another doctor years later said he saw no signs of a stomach ulcer. So uh -huh. Leo Flower has been stressing since day one. So um, do you know if you are pretty flexible or tight? I'm tight. I'm physically tight and I'm, I'm psychologically rigid. I'm aware of it. So I am working on it and, you know, try to catch it when I can. Right. But I, I but I, I sense my natural uh, default is a uh, rigid tight that black and white, nothing, you know, that black and white thinking right. catastrophizing kind of thing. I'm picking up a lot of stuff around your hip area. Oh yeah. My hips are so I can't even sit with my legs crossed. Okay. I, that's a wrap. Forget about okay. it. <laughs> so if you think about, um, one of the things I heard when I, when you were talking was, um, the possibility of some hypermobility which you don't have to be hyperflexible necessarily to have it. And there's all these weird little symptoms to it, like gut and mental health and chronic pain and muscle tightness. And so what happens with hypermobility is that some of the connective tissue, the tendons and stuff are too loose. So the rest of your body has to tighten up to keep you stable. And so then you end up needing to stretch but not being able to stretch and then everything's painful and it's just this gigantic thing and it goes up your neck and people get headaches and it's this, this giant thing and it also puts you on guard so you're waiting for the next time that you're going to be in pain or when it gets worse or so you can't freaking relax because you have to be on top of it and waiting for the next damn thing to happen um so that sets up a psychological and emotional rigidity along with a the physical response to that kind of that PTSD stuff, you know, um, second chakra is the hip area, um, all that there's a lot of trauma related to second chakra. And a lot of um, like that can be where, you know, sexual trauma, for example, goes, um, I found out from the type of bullying I had, I was left with the effects of somebody who'd been sexually abused. Um, but a lot of male and female identity stuff, um, female power, male power, 
Um, creativity. You know, if you're not being creative enough, that part of your body is probably going to tense up because it needs to be expressed. You know, it's about like relationships and boundaries and not feeling safe and all kinds of things. And if from a very young age, you did not feel safe and felt like you had to kind of take care of yourself um, and be there for others and all that kind of stuff, then it's really hard to just relax and live your life. So um, yeah, we, we could, we could spend some time with you. Uh, oh yeah. You know, so funny is I was just thinking today, I was like, I got to get to the beach. I got to get grounded. I need some of those positive negative ions flowing over my body uh, with the sand and the water and the sun. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm craving all of that. I'm going to do an infrared sauna session today to connect um, or reconnect uh, with myself. So yeah, I, everything you're saying is is spot on because I definitely have felt uh, more of a need to create. And when I look at my childhood, I spent a lot of time playing sports and trying to connect with other people and be a part of this tribe and that group and, hey, will you play with me kind of thing. Right. And when I look back, I realize I really wanted to create more. I did a lot of writing. But even more, I had more energy, more creative energy than what I expended. And I think because I had, um, partly because maybe I didn't feel safe or, or just, I didn't have the exposure. I think that was the other part. It wasn't really nurtured or, or I, I didn't have um, a social support group of creative friends. We were just yeah. all very active and and a little bit mischievous, not, not criminal. <laughs> Nobody go digging in my record mischievous, uh, <laughs> you know, TPing a house kind of thing. Right, 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 um, right. So as I get, as I'm getting older, I'm recognizing the, the, the more, I'm having more urges and more cravings for it. I, love it. I feel like doing some pelvic floor work with a physical therapist, um, who is familiar with real like intense pelvic floor work and um, and kind of some hypermobility stuff. I feel like physically and emotionally, that would be really helpful to you. Um, it, it really does become kind of primal when you let yourself be in your body, especially that, you know, the second chakra area. And the gut stuff too is like, you're really empathic. You can read people, you know what's going on, you know how to tune into them and how to make them laugh and all this stuff. And so you are geared toward trying to make them feel good and trying to connect with them. And like, you don't like to see people in pain. And so it's like the gut is where we pick up a lot of intuitive and psychic and emotional energy, you know, and that I feel like that's the first signal to you when there's something a little bit off and you may not even know it. It's just like, oh, I have a, like a gut thing. And so, you know, ask yourself, ask your gut, like, what am I feeling? What's going on? You know, is this about more than just a physical pain? And try to tune into that. Yeah, asking it more questions. Yeah, I really appreciate that because uh, I am recognizing my, my buddy had uh, some back, he had eczema, actually, and back pain all of a sudden, just, you know, very healthy, spry young man. 
And then he got a divorce, and two weeks later, the eczema and the back pain <laughs> cleared up. <laughs> Love it. Yep. Yep. Um, to, to wrap up here, Katie, are, are, have you read any books? Um, and, and I know that, you know, we're here to talk about your book, but are there any um, fiction books that you read that you connected with? Fiction as in, in false um, I don't get to read a lot of fiction. <laughs> My husband's like, your bookshelf is all like death and dying <laughs> and talking to dead people. I'm like, okay, sorry. That's what I do. Um, I really like, especially when I was going through the Jungian counseling, um, I like to read about mythology and symbolism and kind of, you know, hero tales and and things like that told in a in a symbolic mythological way and you know even um a lot of science fiction or a lot of just whatever is it kind of about the hero's journey and people who have all these issues and problems and then they overcome them you know um and influence all sorts of other people and end up being like i didn't even know i could do that so um i really like things like that. I think a lot of people can identify with it. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I think that's why so many people are so drawn to like superhero movies and the Marvel comics yeah. because, you know, they start off as characters who are, you know, bullied or picked on yeah. or just average. And then they get bit by a spider or attacked by bats or whatever. Right, right, right. And all of a sudden, you know, they're uh, now they're vengeance. Um, something that I think is horrible. Turns out to be like the best thing that ever happened to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, but also becomes another burden to bear, right? Because now it's like, how do I use these powers instead yes. of abusing these powers? And, you know, to, and then also I love it with the new, like, uh, Avengers movies and MCU where they, they learn that they have to work together. They can't right. save the world on their own, right? They, they need sure. support. Even Batman needs support. So remember that. Superman needs support. Thor, all these people need support. Yes, we can't do it alone and we shouldn't have to and we don't we don't need to and we're not weak to when we ask for help, we're actually strong. Katie, uh to wrap is there anything from your book Heal from Within a Guide to Intuitive Wellness that you feel like we we need to address or discuss in closing? I guess the reason I wrote it was to share all of the techniques and things that I've learned since, you know, my recovery, my whole life. Um, and I also wrote it because I want people to know that they can be their own medical intuitives and their own intuitives in general. And that what the message I heard when I was recovering was with connection to intuition, self-love and self-acceptance, we can heal from anything. And I really believe that to be true. And um, yeah, that is just something that goes over and over my head all the time. Well, Katie, I'll be looking out for you. I'll be looking for those results on the pole dancing competition. Um, I'm excited <laughs> about that. I, 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 <laughs> my girlfriend's going to be like, what are you looking at? I'm like, listen, this is for work. Right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'm being supportive. Right. It's a learning experience. I'm being supportive. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get her into poll too. Yeah, if you love me, you'll accept that I'm doing this. Um, no, we'll get her into. I, I try to convert everyone. So. Oh, you know what? She was into the. 
um, what is it? Not acro yoga, not acro, but with the where you twist and twirl and you're hanging from the. Oh yeah, 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 like silks and silk. Yeah, like silk yoga or whatever. She, yeah, she yeah. That. Okay, then that's that's like that's an, close enough. That's yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's the gateway to uh, to pole dancing. I'm Absolutely. Hook <laughs> her up with me. I'll I'll get her going. I appreciate that, Katie. Uh, Katie, last question that I ask of all my guests, because I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Katie Dietrich? Wait one more day. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't have all the answers. You are likely wrong about how you feel about yourself. You never know what's going to happen the next day. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, support. Call the 1-800-SU. Uh-oh, uh-oh, they got a new number. Call the 988 number. Uh, but if you're international, global, if you're, if you're in Sri Lanka, Budapest, if you're in the Ukraine or, or Toronto, wherever you are in the world, there are international phone numbers for you in each and every single one of the show notes. You can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. And you can go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo to enjoy 10% off your first month of online therapy. Uh, Katie Beecher, thank you so much for being here. Go pick up her book, uh, Heal From Within, A Guide to Intuitive Wellness. It'll be linked in the show notes, or you can grab it on anywhere where you can get books online or in stores. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you. It was a pleasure.